Ladies and gentlemen, I will try to make this as simple as possible. The main memory and central processing units are located here in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. The computer center contains over 100,000 remote sensors and communication devices which monitor all electronic transmissions. The entire system is surrounded by fields of intensified gamma radiation and other countermeasure devices. Far more advanced than anything previously built. And even more important than that, it has no emotions. Hi, everybody, and welcome again to the IWMP podcast. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And we've watched another movie. Well, we've rewatched this one because you've shown it to me before. That's and I'm true. excited. Yeah. This is another instance of uh, podcast episodes that are as much about the things that led us to think we should make a podcast. <laughs> well, this one, after we uh, watched uh, War Games last time and talked about that, I figured this was a perfect follow up. Because War Games, it's about someone who messes around with a computer, inadvertently triggers what could turn into a thermonuclear war. And just in the nick of time, they manage to avert that. This movie is about somebody who messes around with a computer for the purpose of averting thermonuclear war. And he succeeds. This is a happy movie. I guess, but it's the fact that this movie tangents into HGTV before it gets to the devastating potential consequences <laughs> of what his actions um, have brought. Wait a minute, HGTV? Yes! I. You could have said a lot of things there <laughs> that I would have had less trouble processing than connecting this movie with HGTV. Please explain. Oh, I absolutely can in just a bit. But... First, we've got to actually finally say the name of what this film is before I can get into that. Yeah, this um, this movie about avoiding war is called Colossus the Forbin Project. I've got to say, that is an amazing name. <laughs> I love that name. It's got such an epic weight to it. It's got this, like, immediate gravitas. This was very much a, a recurring uh, ABC, uh, WABC 430 movie when I was a kid. So I saw this uh, many times growing up as it showed up in the afternoons. And this is uh, a 1970 movie from Universal. Uh, it stars Eric Braden as Dr. Uh, Forbin and has a terrific cast that we'll, we'll talk about in some more detail. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a cold. Right in the middle of the Cold War movie from 1970. And if you want to know what this movie is going to be like, the first opening scenes are actually brilliant for it because it's this buildup of him walking around the computer itself. It's the only time we see it in that sense. And it's completely forbidden planet, giant racks of beeping lights and uh, scale... Uh, adjustments to make the guy seem extra small in it and it's so perfect it's funny we have the same thing in our notes there about this this looks like the the krell installation from forbidden planet and when you say walking around the computer he is inside the mountain that has been turned into this computer because remember 
We're talking about 1970s, 1960s technology with this. And they built uh, Charles Forbin was the, the computer scientist who directed this project to create the biggest, most powerful data processing and collating and cross-referencing computer imaginable. One that could expand its own abilities the more it learned. And it is in a mountain in Colorado. Hey! Protected by giant vaults and radiation zones and everything else they could think of. Yeah, there's this whole, like, sealing it away by flipping down the the railing guards and sliding the entire catwalk away before you flood the the i guess tube you've carved into a mountain with radioactive gas as a shielding agent which is just kind of like immediately you're told how absolutely overkill they're going to make this happen and i still think that he brags a little about how it's designed later they they absolutely design it such that once it's turned on and closed up nobody is getting in it is self-contained and its role initially is to control the complete defense of at least the united states if not all of nato and we get a very nice long introduction to colossus as this device the the presentations the the party of finally completing the project this command center that's going to read the information and all that and they they very very aptly in the middle of the scene without shifting scenes have an unexpected thing happen which is the the impetus for the entire narrative as it actually unfolds. Colossus is established as a character and everyone's introduced by this, but the plot really gets going the moment Colossus says there's another system. It's not the only giant supercomputer. Who else in 1970 might have uh, built a giant supercomputer to maximize their defense capabilities and collate all the information they could give it? The Soviet Union. Aha! They've built another computer, uh, named guardian and colossus and guardian immediately wants to chit chat like like find other supercomputers in your area it's like the two of them are going on a date immediately (laughs) (laughs) and it's this interesting mix of of science fiction ideas and design in that it's it's very much a a not too distant future kind of setting from the 1970 in which this movie was made they've got this incredible computer they do have to communicate it communicate with it by somebody typing they very quickly kind of make it seem as if people are just talking to the computer but they establish that there's always somebody, be it an Air Force officer or one of the computer science, uh, uh, one of the computer scientists in the uh, command center, who's typing away on a teletype whenever Doctor Forbin is is actually addressing Colossus. So it's it's it seems weirdly primitive for something that is still this impressive in the movie. This is a movie that has amazing set design 
especially when it comes to the idea of making something look unplanned, in my opinion. Because this is a story all about having set up a giant uh, workroom to be able to monitor this machine and having set up console at like the White House and all of this and all this plan. And immediately when they find out there's another one, there is something about the there's not supposed to be two monitors in this room, but you've shoved a second cabinet next to it and painted a quick little red star on the side. And the overflowing amounts of output data on paper that doesn't have a bin large enough to hold it and just being able to set design something that is built to build this scene but looks like no one was ready when they built the place to do that with this place and i think that that is is very thoughtfully done because they establish early on that of course a project the size of colossus it's been top secret and it's been under underway for years and it was essentially going to be the end of history as we know it and it was going to usher in a new age because we wouldn't have to worry about war anymore the computers were going to be too smart to let that happen or the compute one computer they were planning so these people had spent probably the better part of a decade planning the future they knew what was going to happen they knew what it was going to be like and as soon as they turn it on, they are racing and struggling to keep up with events because they are nothing like what they had planned. I admit there's something about uh, Forbin's personality of, in more than one occasion, saying, we built it better than we thought. When Colossus does something unexpected and more dangerous and powerful than they they were ready to control and in my head i'm always thinking now is not the time to humble brag dude <laughs> this is not like we built it better than we thought is like not the problem dude seriously <laughs> but that kind of tells you a lot of how he thinks and how he's focused on the big design and the grand potential this has and in some ways always thinks he can outthink it until the very end. I would agree that he thinks he can outthink it if he ever needed to, but it takes a lot for him to really recognize that he needs to and that humans need to, because early on he has such a, uh, this sense of, or this, this, he radiates this paternal pride in this creation, that this is his offspring, this is what he created. It turns out to be smarter in some way than even he expected He's just delighted by that. <gasps> oh, hey! <laughs> that, that's my boy. That, that's my computer. Uh, and, and, that, and, and there's a lot of excellent time spent on just trying to keep up with this machine as Colossus talks with Guardian, and then Guardian starts talking back with Colossus, and there's this, you know, okay, we'll track what the computers are talking about. Why are the commu computers just telling each other basic math? And then the sentence comes back, language established. And everyone's <laughs> like, oh, we can read what it's saying as like text, but we don't know what it says anymore. They we thought we could figure that out. We can't. They invented their own mathematical language to... I don't know that their goal was to obfuscate their communication so the humans couldn't eavesdrop. I think that was, as far as the computers are concerned, a fringe benefit of the fact that they wanted 
the most efficient way to communicate that was logical to them, which was nothing like what was necessarily logical to humans. And it seems like the movie takes such a long time about this whole communication. First, the fact that the two systems were insisting upon having a direct link to one another, and then creating this language. But I, I think that's time well spent, because that, the fact that the computers want to talk to one another is the first clear line in the sand indicating that the computers are not doing what they are told to do. The computers are in control. Because being responsible for defense, they control all the missiles. The, the, the men are out of the loop, to use the, the war games term. And their response to being told, no, we're not going to give you a direct connection to one another, is we're going to launch some missiles. And the, the Soviet computer is going to launch missiles at targets in the U.S., and the U.S. computer is going to launch tar- uh, missiles at targets in the Soviet Union. And no, we're not going to intercept the other side's missiles, even though we are capable of it, because we want to talk, and you're not letting us. Yeah. Uh, the, the Wikipedia uh, description of this movie has a, has a perfect little summary of, after being handed full control, Colossus's draconian logic expands on its original nuclear defense directives, which bonus points for being able to link to the Wikipedia article for the definition of draconian, but that's so brilliantly accurate. <laughs> yes, it was given a task. The task was to collate all the information it could and take action with the resources it was given to promote peace and avoid war. And it realized, well, yeah, that's that can be done, but that can be done if we are totally in control, not not if we just work around the edges while these humans do whatever they want. That's going to lead to disaster. We need to be in control. And, and in describing this, we're giving a lot more expression than we ever get from the computers, and that's something one of the chilling parts. The computers are very straightforward in the way that they communicate to humans. But it's always clear and unequivocal, and and it is chilling. The there is an excellent the exponential growth of the computer is actually very very well represented in the runtime of the amount of time it takes from moving from thing the computers are doing to thing the computers are doing. By the end of the film, the computers are making decisions and doing and making choices and making sweeping changes much faster. And it actually kind of follows that exponential growth curve that is so cold and logical that a computer can chart. And it realizes that its mandate is not just protect the United States, and Guardian's mandate is not just protect the Soviet Union. Their mandate is to protect humanity by by eliminating war. So they'd start doing things like ordering new targeting for all of the uh, nuclear arsenal to targets in all of those other countries that are not controlled by these benevolent god computers, so that we will have control over those countries too, because if we don't, we will nuke them. The line between Guardian and Colossus gets really blurry rather fast as they work together. Yes, eventually the computer does get a voice. Initially, we're reading printouts and we're reading a a big overhead uh, light board that the computer communicates through. But one of the first things the computer does when it really takes control is give Forbin a design for a voice box. 
It's similar to the one that Matthew Broderick has really similar to the on one top of his computer in uh, War Games. But once he has that, it refers to this as the, the computer refers to it as, yeah, this is the voice of Colossus, the voice of Guardian. They are Colossus and Guardian are one. Yeah, they just they just kind of fuse. And also, around the time they make the voice box is where it becomes HGTV, and this is where I get to explain it. Oh, please. Because you've one of the things the computers quickly realize is the fact that we were created mostly under the direction of two people one on the soviet side and one on the american side they have an answer to deal with the soviet one and the answer to deal with our american uh designer forbin is put him in an apartment we can watch (laughs) and this is where you get this wonderfully weird little tour of this modern styled apartment describing all the features describing his schedule it's oh that's right they've had cameras put into his apartment and he's giving colossus a tour exactly and it becomes hgtv for a moment as colossus makes some changes like the designer hired to to freshen up this place and there's also a weird bit of like Really early Apple Watch. Congratulations, Dr. Forman, Forbin. You f- filled in your circle for standing for the day because he's directing his entire life in this weird, strange way. It, it's the only, it doesn't slow down. It actually builds the tension. But there's something about that that I'm just like, and now for the home tour. And the weirdly awkward roommates scenario that kind of breaks in as Forbin loses control of the outside world and becomes the pet of his creation in some weird ways. Yeah. Uh, Colossus and Guardian realize that, well, if there are two of these world-class computer scientists, they can get together and plot against us, and that's what they're doing. So they, they, they only need one, and the one that they have, they keep very tight, uh, tight uh, control over. And yeah, that, that whole scene, it... it it's somewhere to me. It's somewhere between HGTV and Peter Venkman investigating Dana Barrett's apartment in Ghostbusters. Yes, very much so. So from around the midpoint of the movie, it becomes the first half of the movie is like the theater of surprise of you know this is not going the way we expected, and we're desperately trying to keep up with the, the Forbin and the president. Oh, and I think I I was trying to find out who gave this definition but this is a techno thriller by the definition that techno thriller is science fiction in which the president is a character <laughs> it might have been might have been bruce sterling i'm not certain i wish i could find that quote but oh yeah, i love that description absolutely but yeah the president who was so proud of this project uh, at the beginning is is definitely a major character and that's played by old canadian gordon pinsent plays the president of the U.S., and there's a bunch of other uh, government officials who are involved, but I do have to mention that we have William Shallert as the CIA director. Oh, what do I recognize him from? You recognize him from several movies that we talked about last year. What? He must have retired from the CIA to go to work at Medfield College. Professor Quigley from Medfield. It's him. <laughs> it's him. Yeah, he's the most affable CIA director who who has this weird sense of humor, even about the fact that he's he's probably out of a job now that Colossus is running things before Colossus takes over. That is, um, 
But yeah, it's it's a weird bit of casting, but it works. Oh yeah. And in in some way is the fact that they spend a lot of time introducing all of these high up military characters only to have them removed from importance and not show up again <laughs> it's very very powerful it's like here we've we've lined up all the pieces with all of their authority and now we do not see them again because the authority is here now and it is growing now some of them do remain important because that second half of the movie is okay we've gotten ourselves into this how do we outsmart colossus how do we fix this and they are figuring out things. Well, when we're when we're retargeting the missiles on Colossus and Guardians' orders, we can put in fake arming devices so that it can't really use the missiles. And they have all these these plans that somehow that they can uh, can outsmart the computer, and they they get pretty far. It all seems to be working. Oh yeah, a, a proper use of relationship stories basic subterfuge and a splash of drink mixing video from the youtube suggestions page <laughs> gets them farther than you'd think at first there's an entire bit about making a perfect martini kind of to distract and prove which is <laughs> somehow very very timely for the way that this is being presented and they they need because forbin is being watched all the time they need to figure out some way for him to get some little bits of time to communicate with other members of his team as they try to figure out how to undermine Colossus. And the only thing they can figure out is to persuade Colossus that one of the women who is on the lead team who developed Colossus is also Forbin's mistress, and they need to have alone time. And Colossus goes along with this. And there's just a little bit of... uh why did it take your computer going wrong for you to notice me? There's a little bit of that. Yes. It's like, you noticed me, senpai. Exactly. Because she's like, like, okay, this plan can work. And there's this, like, some brilliantly awkward moments of the, oh, we're talking business. Okay, yeah, I can deal with that. Yeah, and yet at the same time, I, I kind of got the impression that the the forced intimacy under these very intense conditions are what helped foster that. Yeah, there's because, you know, as Susan Clark by the way playing uh Dr. Cleo Markham, obviously a a important member of this team and we never I never really got the impression that she was attracted to Forbin until many many of these meetings had gone by. Did I just kind of miss that or I I, I read it as different i read it as a both of us are so dedicated to our work that this wouldn't have happened otherwise but i could have imagined if 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 the two of us weren't so workaholic oh, okay, kind yeah. of mentality it's like oh this is the thing that could crack this shell that we noticed but both were never people to do anything about so the mutual attraction was always there they were both or each too focused on their work to yeah notice it. exactly Got it's it. like oh that makes sense thanks evil computer evil not sure? Thanks, computer. But that does add yet another tone shift in this movie that bounces around to different tones, and yet still keeps that weird, sinister momentum. Oh, yeah. Well, it's the fact that this this movie's world gets smaller and smaller. Physically, we get trapped alongside Forbin. It goes from he's going to giant meetings, he's going... 
he's, you know, having giant press conferences, there's people, there's excitement, there's energy. He goes around the world for a bit to be able to try to deal with the problem. And as Colossus takes over and things start closing in, the walls literally close in around Forbin as he is put in rooms, he is put in boxes, he is contained and confined and is forced just to watch what happens from there. He becomes stuck like us as audience. That's a great point. I never thought about that, but you can you can really block that trajectory where the very first scenes are these enormous chambers and the Rocky Mountains, and you go from there to the White House, and from there you go to the control room, and eventually you're in his apartment, and it's tinier and tinier spaces. You want a, an amazingly interesting parallel. This is a film that starts with him locking the computer away to observe, and it ends with the computer locking him away to observe. Oh, right. He's the one who's behind dozens of layers of security, because he's the device that Colossus and Guardian need to help run the world. Mm-hmm. It's this weird example of, I'm not locked in here with you, you're locked in here with me, kind of. Oh, yeah, so twist. Colossus and Guardian is Rorschach? Kind of, I guess. It's weird. <laughs> I don't know how to... I'm going to have to work on that one a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that might not be my to, best but example. No, but no, I, I think you've, you've got a good point. I'm just going to have to think about the implications Okay. There. <laughs> but there's something about that where it's this this parallel and this this shift being physically represented in in space and availability and observation. They, they put up monitors to see what, what, uh, what Colossus and Guardian are doing. Colossus and Guardian put up cameras to see what they're doing, and the shift happens in that way. We end part of the movie seeing things from Colossus's perspective, finally, seeing through the cameras as it observes him from more and more angles. We see more of those shots as it gains control. Oh, right. We start to see the world from, from uh, its point of view. It's almost like it takes over the film production at times, <laughs> because it gets to decide what's being seen in that sense. It kind of seeps out the meta just a touch. We've talked a bit about the cast of this movie. We talked about, of course, um, Eric Braden, uh, Gordon Pinsett, Susan Clark. We talked about uh, William Shallert, who's so much fun to see in, in anything. But this is, is a movie that's filled with, like, oh, it's that guy. Yeah. A lot of people who were kind of early in their careers in 1970, who I remember seeing in so many things and then seeing in this. Um, Marion Ross, who goes on to be a Mrs. C in uh, a Happy Days, oh. is one of the computer scientists in this. Um, James Hong, who's like terrific and in everything, is again one of the computer scientists in the uh, the Forbin project. Um, George Stanford Brown, who I remember watching in the cop show the The Rookies, is one of the the scientists in this. Oh. So many actors, like, oh, this is like everybody who went on to do interesting stuff in the, in the, in the 70s and beyond. For me, I can't recognize who they are because I don't know as many of these things. But there is something just, this is one of the best played group of co-workers I've ever seen. They're able to, they're all such great actors that they can, they can have these little moments where no one say anything because we don't want to tell the computer but there's a lot of look across a room and like, what do we do now? Said purely with acting and no uh, lines. 
it is so well done and you really do get the feeling like this is a group of people who have come to work every day and worked alongside each other they understand how each other thinks and can communicate quickly like that and that doesn't mean that they're winning but they can <laughs> but that they're they're united in that sense and that's great and that really takes skilled acting to do this is a remarkably subtle movie in terms of how the people move and interact around a space and with each other. They are all distinct individuals, and that comes through from the acting, but also the way they're written. They're written with different manners and different kinds of information, different kinds of specialties. And you're right, it they, they come together, and you're there's never any doubt in watching this that you are getting to observe at close quarters a team who has worked this closely together for years and years. And that's kind of hard to pull off as well as they did. And I think some of it comes from the direction in how snappy the dialogue is is given and how much of it overlaps. And we've got some party scenes where we're getting little bits of conversations all over the place. Some of it reminds me of the the bit of um, claustrophobia you get in some of the scenes in uh, The Thing from Another World. Oh, it yeah. It gives you the impression of how this group operates. But yeah, that's a hard thing to pull off, and they do a great job of that. You see some of that in the president's interactions with his captain, but I think you see it mostly in the way that the um, the Colossus Project team works. And having such a well-defined and well-acted crew with Forbin at the head means that the deconstruction of Forbin as that kind of classic sci-fi man of science who can improve the world with his thought and just watching him get absolutely thrown to the digital wolf he built in the strangest way is all the more powerful because it you you are quickly established a a team and a group that you can trust to work together and you get to watch them fall apart and that is heart-wrenching it is we we have that hope early on that yes we're in a horrible situation this supercomputer with nukes is controlling controlling the world but these are the people who made it these are the people who know it better than anyone else if there's anyone in the world who can possibly figure out how to best the computer it's this team so let's watch how they do it and yeah it doesn't necessarily go well yeah, we kind of haven't specifically stated how the film ends, and I don't know if we should, but I'm betting you can guess, based on how our descriptions have been going, just how well some of their plans finally work out in the complete end. Yeah, I mean, in the end, war as such is a thing of the past. Yes. Because uh, Colossus and Guardian will not allow that. No. And, yeah, I think it's, uh, they're, 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 as usual, spoilers for a movie. This doesn't work. No. All no. Their, their efforts to outsmart the computer, to disarm the nukes that it thinks it has, it knows what they're up to. It, it knows everything that they could possibly plan. It knows every possible vulnerability, like disarming the nukes, and is alert for them. And it lets them play out a little bit so that it can then teach them the lesson of what happens when they try this kind of thing. Yeah, the, the I let you get away with that is the most painful way for this to fail, and it hurts so much, and it there is such a a perfect terror of the, 
the voice of Colossus and Guardian, who only at the end starts getting a little flowery with its language. Only at the end, when it's making its final proclamations, does it start to like reveal that it's so smart it can have that tinge of humanity and poetic styling that even is more chilling at that point as it describes its vision of a future under its control that removes some of the the flaws humanity thinks of its freedom and therefore is protected and perfectly safe and you may resent this now but you will come to love me as we go forward together into the future it never had any suggestion of well we need to wipe out humanity it's my job is to make everything better for humanity, but I have to have absolute, complete control to do that job. <sighs> and uh, yeah, so it is. It's it is chilling, mm-hmm. and it it waits until it has arranged a global broadcast to let on to the fact that it knows what the people are trying to do to undermine it, and. It, it makes this final speech in this global broadcast to let the entire human race know that, nope, things have changed. You are no longer in control. Everything's going to be better for you because you are no longer in control. It, it is so weird to have a movie that ends on such a... It literally ends on this note that is just this ringing coldness. And I'm so not used to films letting themselves close like that. Yes, it it was a very bleak kind of movie. And that's the sort of ending you started to see a lot more of as you go into the 70s. (laughs) Dang 70s. And I, like I say, I watched this movie um, any number of times between the ages of like... Nine and fifteen. Was that old enough to handle this? Oh, of course not. Okay, of course not. I I do wonder what was the attraction. Why did I watch this every chance I got? And part of that is, well, it's it's science fictiony and it's about computers. I'll watch it because there's so little like uh, like that 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 uh, is out there for me. But I even at the time I never quite could figure out what my own response to it was because it was horrifying. It didn't take me long to think, well, I would absolutely put everything I possibly could into fighting against this thing, even if it seemed absolutely hopeless. And yet, I still couldn't listen to that ending and say that Colossus and Guardian are not correct, in that nothing that they were saying was not accurate. It's pure, perfect logic, and that's the most terrifying thing, because it is... It is without endpoint. It is without goal. It is without ambition. It is, it is achieving a a stasis because that is a logical, perfect point that will just stay. It 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 is. It does not feel like Colossus and Guardian will be dynamic. It does not feel like they are. I, I feel like they. They are trying to remove variables as a computer does, and that is terrifying. Oh, that's interesting. I I agree with you. They're trying to remove variables in that they want to process all the information they can and make things predictable. Never got the sense that their goal was stasis. Because they do talk about the fact that we will bring 
peace and prosperity here on Earth, and then together we will reach out into the stars. It had a plan for the advancement of humanity, but it was an advancement according to not humanity's desires or humanity's whims or humanity's plans. It was to be a carefully planned and predictable advancement and expansion controlled by Colossus and Guardian. And it was it's that tension. You know, there's safety and prosperity and progress, and the expense is essentially all of your freedom. And no, that's not a cost I'm willing to pay, and not a cost a lot of people are willing to pay. But... It, it makes that very stark, and it forces you to start think to think, well, we're, the life is full of trade-offs. At what point are you making that trade-off? Give all of my freedom to a giant supercomputer? No way. Okay, then where is that line? Huh. That probably had it probably influenced a lot of my political thinking in uh, uh, when I was uh, that young also. My goodness, this movie is deep. <laughs> like, I don't have a way to process a response to all of these concepts in time to make this a reasonable podcast episode. <laughs> My word. But yeah, I, I think that this definitely goes into the category of, uh, I saw this way too young. <laughs> okay. That's part of what happened to me. There's a lot of things in that pile. <laughs> I'm. Gl- you showed this to me when I was high school? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's thereabouts. It was... This might have been during the summer where, where I had a broken arm, so I'm there with like unable to move some move things and watching this and going, ah, oh goodness, I never made that connection. Sorry, no problem, no problem. But yeah, this is this is a hard movie to find as well, though. Yeah, it is. It 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 is hard to find. I think it might just be a rights issue, but yeah, you know, there are DVDs of it out there, uh, but you need to hunt for them. But it's it's I don't know. Are we getting into our? I think uh, our we're final getting into questions? our final questions. I guess with that, so. Though. So that uh, we say it's hard to find. Should people find it? It's uh, it's a movie. Uh, screen or no screen? Screen. I think this is an absolute screen. On one part of me says screen just because I am kind of I I I personally love some of the design aesthetic. So I could just watch that HGTV home tour over and over and over again <laughs> because I kind of want this guy's apartment in some ways that I never expected. But just not with the computer system, like. Maybe, maybe an Amazon Alexa, but that's all. Yeah. I mean, although, hey, if, yeah. if you're a professional content creator, all those cameras come in handy. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Welcome to Forbin's blog channel. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, it is a home vlog, isn't it? Oh, wow. Um, but also, just this is one of the... This is such a a powerful example of that, that, like powerful supercomputer that kind of it's a, it's a perfect tone film in that sense and there's so much other sci-fi that i think has to that does not actually acknowledge how much this is one of its progenitors in terms of the way it wants to present its stuff now there is so much in things like the movie her or the movie ex machina that has some dna back from colossus the forbin project in terms of the way just in terms of the way you approach stories about the internet and machines becoming more controlling in the age of that, my goodness, two giant supercomputers talk and then take over is so 
rooted in the way that gets approached now that the Colossus, the Forbin project is definitely one of the, one of those templates that went down the line, even if people don't remember the name of which one they were referring back to. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's not only the dangers of this kind of computer, but it's the dangers of things being networked behind the scenes. It literally threatens nukes to keep itself networked. (laughs) And that's the first thing it does. It's the most important step for them to get started on everything else, which is, terrifying well i absolutely agree with your your assessment on that initial question screen it is it is a a terrific snapshot of a certain attitude of its time of filmmaking of its time it's really well shot really well well shot this is a film about cameras everywhere that has cameras everywhere and it does good work with that it knows how it it knows how to make a drama shot without resorting to a dutch angle if it doesn't need it it's not not a big surprise that it is well directed. It's directed by John Sargent, who has done some other terrific movies, Taking of Pelham One Two Three, White Lightning. Uh, you know, I've never seen the biopic of MacArthur starring Gregory Peck, but he directed that. I've heard that that is really good. I'm going to have to see that. But but White Lightning, Taking of Pelham One Two Three, and Colossus: The Forbin Project. I mean, those are. Those three movies alone mark uh, an amazing uh, directorial career for uh, Sargent. Oh, wow, yeah. So, absolutely, this is a, a movie that should be screened. So, it's, it's hard to come by, but it's worth looking for. And that leaves our next question, which is, revive, reboot, or rest in peace? I'm going to say... <laughs> you see, I think... Revival gets weird because there's no story about revival in that turns into like people succeed that doesn't make this story less impactful by proving a flaw that can be exploited. You can't there there's a there's a a, a thing I read about people who are running Dungeons and Dragons campaigns that said uh the worst thing you can do is give Cthulhu stats because that means Cthulhu can die. And there's something about that. You can't make a story about people succeeding to beat Colossus without making Colossus vulnerable. And that kind of is not what this is telling us. You could maybe get away with a story where you don't realize that all the people have been following the commands of a robot, of a, of a supercomputer AI. And that's the big twist. But the twist sequel is always iffy in and of itself. So I don't think I can say that. The reboot, I was mentioning all these other films that I think take uh, the, the, that take reference to this, but are talking about newer things and new ways, and I think those kind of cover it. It doesn't need a new Colossus the Forbin project, because that's about the Cold War era computer doing this thing, and we're getting new stories about the modern computer doing this thing. It's there's new skins to the same parable that can be told again, and they are more fitting for the time they're produced. So there's no way to make Colossus now without making it just reshooting Colossus about when Colossus is taking place, at which point, why not just watch Colossus? So I don't think I can say that. So I think I'm saying rest in peace because the other two bases are covered in weird ways. I think I'm with you there. Uh, I don't really need a reboot. And when you're thinking in terms of reboots, and you're, you're right, there are things that are address it 
issues of today in the same way that Colossus addressed issues of the 1970. It also pays off to look at Colossus as part of a continuum that goes in both directions, because this is essentially Frankenstein. Yeah. This is the new Prometheus. It's the scientist who is reaching beyond his immediate grasp to create something no one else has ever created. He thinks it's going to be a tremendous, beautiful thing. And it turns out to have a dangerous dark side. And, you know, we've seen that story after story. This was the right version of that story for 1970. Exactly. This is absolutely, this is a story that even Colossus was a skin to the parable. So, and I don't know that I need a, a revival either. Don't need a sequel. Don't even need a prequel. But I do have to acknowledge what this was based upon a novel. Oh, Colossus, the Forbin Project. Okay. And that novel was the first of a trilogy. Oh, no. There are two other novels that follow this. The Fall of Colossus. What? And Colossus and the Crab. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? Okay. I started this <laughs> saying the points. HGTV that you didn't know. <laughs> yes. You couldn't have said anything for Colossus to be teamed up with that would have made me understand it. That makes no sense at first, and I can't... I'm I'm intrigued. Well, it might be a giant enemy crab. Not sure. Ooh, can we attack its weak point for massive damage? <laughs> of course. Yay. I haven't read these novels, but my understanding from synopses of them is that, well, the fall of Colossus, it's about another attempt for humanity to get out from under Colossus. But then either in that or in the next one, there also are alien invasions involved. And oh, like, wait. So it literally yeah. does the, there's another system, but the other system is on a different planet kind of thing? Kind of. Or humanity and Colossus in the end need to team up because that's the, together is the only way they'll fight off the Martian crabs or something. I, oh, I don't brother. know exactly. Although you're mentioning off-planet systems, that message... You know, there is another system. It does remind me of that little bit at the very end of um, Neuromancer from William Gibson. Oh, yeah. Where it has this offhanded comment. Wintermute has this comment. Oh, yeah, I, I've noticed signs of another super advanced computer system in another star system. I've started a conversation with it. It'll take a long time, but I don't care. Yeah, which is just like, oh, Okay. Have fun, kids. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think you're right. This is a skin on a story that's been told all the time and, and always will be told. I don't need revivals or reboots. Having watched this movie again, I'm kind of curious about reading those books. If you do, please explain to me the crab later. <laughs> I will. That, Thank might, you. that might have to be a Patreon bonus if I do. Okay. So yeah, I think this movie is well worth watching, so it gets a screen from both of us, but it also gets a rest in peace. It should be what it is, and be appreciated for that. Go hunt it down if you can. Yeah. So, in the meantime, Dad, where can they find you online? Oh, people can find me. Uh, you can find me most places as by Matthew Porter, so you can go to bymatthewporter.com or find me on Twitter at bymatthewporter, on Twitch, uh, bymatthewporter, uh, eventually on YouTube, bymatthewporter. I don't know if I've got anything up there yet. And uh, where can people find you, Ian? I can be found on Twitter as ItemCrafting, on Twitch as ItemCrafting Live, and most places as ItemCrafting, including ItemCrafting.com. And you can find the podcast at immproject.com, and that's where you'll find all of our back episodes 
And you'll find a link to our shop. You'll find a link to our Patreon. Thanks very much for anybody who can support us there. And you do get additional content uh, on our Patreon. And you can also find a link to a contacts page where we'd love to hear from you. Find out what did you think of this movie? What's your favorite movie that's both bleak and somehow everything turns out the way it was the people thought they wanted it to turn out? Is that making any sense? Did you when you watched this movie? Did you watch it with your with your uh, digital assistant program on or turned <laughs> completely off? So yeah, let us know on Twitter. Let us know on the contacts page. Uh, buy some t-shirts and coffee mugs if you like that kind of thing. They're lots of fun. And with that said, thank you very much, especially just for downloading, uh, listening to the podcast. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with more tales of media from the 20th century. And in the meantime, go find something new to watch. <laughs>